0: Welcome to the Let's See Grandma Career Warrior Podcast. And welcome to the Let's See Grandma Career Warrior Podcast, where our goal is not only to help you land your dream job, but to help you live your best life. Today, we're going to talk about how to land a job during an economic downturn. Ladies and gentlemen, my goal with this episode is not to scare you. In fact, my goal is quite the opposite. By listening to this episode, you'll gain more hope for your future, and you'll walk away with some actionable tips and insights that will help you land a job, no matter what the situation is. But you need to engage yourself and have an open mind, and preferably take notes as you're listening. Today, I brought on the amazing Bobby Davis Jr. Bobby is a tech entrepreneur with over 20 years of experience building successful software companies. Bobby founded his first company in 2002 with just $500 in his bank account. He has since then grown into a multi-million dollar business. His second effort, Advanced Fraud Solutions, now runs in almost 1,000 financial institutions, and Inc. has labeled it as one of the fastest-growing private businesses in the country for four years running. Bobby also runs the Coder Foundry Bootcamp, where he successfully placed hundreds of software development students in high-paying jobs across the country. Bobby just wrote a book that has just released entitled Breaking the Code, Five Steps to a Life-Changing Software Development Job. We'll get to that towards the end. So as you can see, Bobby's just going to be legendary, and this episode is going to really help you in the current times if you're struggling. So let's launch right into it with our 155th episode of the Career Warrior Podcast. All right, Bobby, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Doing better than ever here. I am over here in California doing this podcast remotely. This remote world has really Gotten things changed. I'm excited to really delve into some of the content in this particular episode. I think you have a lot of really good insights to share during this current time. I just wanted to hear first from you, in your opinion, since we're doing this episode about a downturn how are we defining a downturn in this situation? What are we speaking about when we're going to be doing this topic?
1: Yeah. So the downturn is pretty obvious now with COVID-19 um, impacting a lot of businesses. And a lot of people have found that their company or their place of work was forced to shut down. So that's had a dramatic impact on the, the nation's economy. So with that, people are looking at, what do I do in this downturn? What do I do now? And a lot of times when you get laid off or you're looking for a job and you can't find the job that you want, a lot of people panic and that leads to like inaction, which I think they just sit in their room and kind of huddle up and say, I'm just going to weather this out. I think that's where a lot of people are. And so I want to give them a little bit of hope today to say, you know, here's some things that you could possibly do during a downturn and still come out thriving on the other end of it.
0: That's fantastic. And that's exactly what the goal of this episode is. I really want people to be encouraged. I was almost afraid of I didn't want to even include the word downturn in the title. But I just think that there are some particular challenges that people are facing today, whereas they weren't facing even, you know, a year ago, in your opinion, what are those challenges that we are facing during this time that we didn't have to worry about otherwise?
1: Yeah, so like um, in my world, you know, we we um we place some .NET developers or uh, software developers, and so part of my company is a recruiting company, and we saw that the job postings in the last since March up to now went way down. So like where we saw like software openings maybe for you know, 10 to 100 per day. Now we're seeing three. So like, it's a lot slower. So that's where the opportunities are smaller. Having said that, a lot of people also realize that their skills may not match up to the new economy changes a lot. and So you've got to change instead of like waiting for the economy to come back, you got to change what you do maybe or change how you are. And I think like going on a self-improvement journey, if you're sitting at home anyway, you might as well get better at doing something, you know? So that's my first number one goal is like, don't sit. In a corner and do nothing and wait for it to happen for you, start working on a self-improvement journey. And that's where we come in. We talk about coding, but this is applicable to like, if you're a salesperson, be a better salesperson. If you're a personal trainer running a gym, do more things about how you can get more better at marketing or better at training people through Zoom. Look at the shifts in the economy of things that are happening and just see how you can fit in.
0: I'm right there with you. I focused a lot of my efforts on, you know, marketing, you know, social media, things that are relevant for my business. I want to become an even better podcaster. That's one of my goals for this year. Now, what would you say to the people, though, that are saying that it's just really important to screw all this self-improvement stuff? I just really want to make sure that I'm spending time resting. There's too much stuff to worry about. Would you just tell them to suck it up and improve? (laughs)
1: No, I wouldn't say that. I'll just tell you what I'm doing. So like one of the things that happened to me in the downturn is my started more of a workout regiment. And so, rest in general, rest is like a great thing that you need to have anyway on a daily basis. So, like, you need to make sure you have your rest, but you can't rest 24 7. You can't rest 16 hours a day. Make sure you're getting your rest in so your mental health is up. And then once that's happening, then you start looking around, like, what can I do to be better? So, I need to be better at this. And so, before the COVID downturn, what did I do? Okay. Can I be better at that? Or do I need to change what I do? And so, like, if you are coming out of the restaurant industry, maybe that's going to change. And that's scary to a lot of people. People, but if it's gonna change the way I look at it is look at the shift and see where that's going and see where you can fit in and then what this new economy is gonna look like so I think that focusing on your mental health and then focus on your like intellectual health which is like what do I do how do I do it how do I make myself better is what I need to do
0: I really love that. I'm a huge, huge fan and a major advocate for doing things to take care of yourself, mental health, things like that. And so I think like for me, having that as a foundation and then building off of that with, I love how you said intellectual health. I don't think I've heard it said that way, but I think that's just really smart because we need to do things. I think we need self-improvement and we need to grow in order to stimulate ourselves because otherwise we're just going to, you know, that's a form of death in itself. So, even as I've picked up new skills, I've worked on becoming, you know, a better guitar player, things like that. I've actually felt that feeding into my mental health as well, just because of that stimulation. So... Bobby, I think you hit it right there on the head.
1: I think it's great. I mean, you talked about guitar playing and like, so guitar playing is also a very intellectual exercise. A lot of people think it's an artistic exercise. I've tried to play guitar. I can't do it. But like, there's a mental acuity that you have to do to read music that turns like that to your fingers as you like hit the notes or whatever on the stem. And when you stimulate your brain to learn new things or try new things, it does increase your creativity so that you can start thinking outside of the box because you're stimulated. The thing about fear is fear can be paralyzing or fear can be a motivator. And so if you're afraid of like, what are my job prospects and you sit in a corner in a ball, then those fears will get played out really in your life. And so like what you can do is say, okay, this is going to change. I can no longer do this. I got to do something else. What can I do? And I think having a creative outlet like music or, you know, like I'm doing like lots of pushups now. So like, you know, well, some people would say it's not a lot. It's a lot for me. So like, you know, but. Um, I think all of those things can help you kind of like expand your horizons and think about things in a
0: different way. And that can relieve fear in your life. That's awesome. Thank you for that. Kind of launch into the heart of this podcast here. Things to do during a downturn. And I think we've already touched on one right now, which is to focus on that new skill and to get those creative juices flowing. But what else would you recommend practically for job seekers?
1: So one of the things that we do as we talk to a lot of people that are career switchers that are coming to my bootcamp, Coder Foundry. And this is what the heart of the book is, is breaking the code, is like start looking at like what are the things that are going to be important in society? So one of those things is obviously coding, but there's always going to be marketing. There's always going to be sales. There's always going to be these other types of industries too, regardless of what happens. And you need to improve your skills in one of those areas. And so like we tell people is you need to go on a learning journey. So you got to learn something new to do. I think coding is one of the best careers that you could possibly have, but it's not the only career. So if that doesn't interest you, and you're like, man, I don't wanna wear headphones in a cube or type all day long, then you need to improve it in some other way. And so I, I think starting a learning journey, and the cool thing about now is everything you ever wanted to know is Googleable. So we don't have to go to a four year university to do this. We don't have to go find a guru up in the mountains to tell us what we need to do. We can actually kind of find out and search out everything ourselves and go on a learning journey, you know? And then also having communication with other friends and family that may can give you some thoughts like, hey, what are you doing? And then start looking at like what other people are doing But if you're predisposed to like, hey, maybe software is for me, there's so many resources out there that are free without even going to my boot camp to learn how to code right now. So like start that learning journey like right now. Read a book, you know, read an article and then start improving that skill.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point, Bobby. And like I said, I'm a huge fan of learning. I think it's one of the things that gets me going. But don't you think first that people need to define where they need to go? Like, let's say I've been in the restaurant industry my entire life and I'm scared because I don't know what is happening. Do you have any recommendations for people who are still trying to figure all that out?
1: Yeah. So like um, what we do is we test people. You know, that's one of the tests we have and you can go to current.com slash developer quiz and we test them to see if coding's for them. And so what you need to do is start developing interest outside of the industry. So let's say, and I do believe that restaurants industry is maybe the most impacted industry that's going to happen. Like that may take six months to a year to recover. So you may be forced to do something different. And so what I would do is take a skills inventory and say, all right, look in the mirror and go, all right, what did I actually do at the restaurant? What are my skills? And then look at other things and say, where are those things relatable to other things? And the thing too, I always tell people a lot is like when you look in that mirror, be honest with yourself. Don't lie to yourself. You know, like just be honest and you don't have to be negative. It doesn't have to be positive, but just be honest with yourself and say, what did I really do? And then how can I take that core skill and move that to something else? And I think that's going to be what people need to do. And I think that, you know, for learning to code and learning how to be a software developer is something you can do inside your house. You can at least try that avenue out because coding is like everywhere and it can be done remotely. It doesn't rely on big companies necessarily. And there's a lot of opportunities out there.
0: Not to take a tangent here, but just the idea of coding, just it fascinates me so much. I remember when I was 10 years old and I was really into the video games that I was into and I learned that coding was the way to design <laughs> these video games. How long would it take me to learn a skill set like that? It just sounds so intimidating and so hard. How long would that take?
1: So here's what I think. I think not everyone can is predisposed to learn how to code, but it's more than you think. I don't want no one to stop it because they feel like the mountain's too high to climb. What I always tell people is just start. There's a million tutorials on there where you can say HTML, you know, how to build a web page, one-on-one, and just start and see if that interests there. And I just had a thought. If you're in the restaurant industry, just think about this. Let's say that you were inside of like the restaurant. Can you take that knowledge about the restaurant industry and turn that into something that would be relevant to the people coming out of COVID? So how do you market curbside service? How do you market outdoor dining? Can you make a white table dining experience under a tent? Like can I serve steak under a tent? Like those are the types of things I'm talking about where you can take your core skill, look at the shift and change it into something else. And I guarantee you in the software industry, there's going to be a lot of apps and things built around the restaurant industry. And so maybe you have a great idea, but maybe you need to partner up with somebody who's on a learn journey too, and you guys can go together to figure something else out to solve some of these problems. But I would say the biggest thing is just start. Don't look at the whole mountain take your first step and look at a tutorial right now today and just spend an hour and a half and see if it interests you.
0: Yep, exactly. One of the things that we talked about before this, Bobby, was how there is so much opportunity even in a downturn. And I remember one of the things that you said is even in the midst of a downturn, ask yourself, where is that opportunity? We talked about how Facebook, Airbnb, all these major tech companies launched during the last great recession, Anything you would add to that to just encourage people that now is the time to build those skills and to take advantage?
1: I guarantee you that in the next decade that there'll be two to three billion dollar companies that are going to be invented. You haven't heard of them yet. We don't even know the people that's going to make them. They're going to build something that we didn't know we needed, but it's something we have to have and they're going to be the next Mark Zuckerberg. And a lot of people, when I look at Facebook, we talked about it, man. It's like 2008, Facebook gets launched, you know, and like they're closing banks down. I mean, like in terms of downturn, that was probably worse than the one we're having right now. And like all of these Twitter and all these social media companies launched out of that. And so what happens in a downturn is new things come out and people see those opportunities and they seize on them. And I know that COVID and all these kind of things that are happening right now will create opportunities for people. And that's where when you look at like like the rise of podcasting, the rise of social media. You look at like TV is going down because people aren't watching anymore. It gives opportunities for someone like yourself, like, man, I need to start that podcast right now. This like Joe Rogan just got a Spotify deal. So maybe that's for me, you know, and that's where I think that all of these opportunities are going to happen. And the worst thing you can do is just sit in your room and do nothing. So start that learning journey, take that first step, and then follow that with a second step. It's just like me when I go to work out, you know, you started with one push up, you know, and so you work your way up to a hundred. You, you do not walk in doing a hundred push ups when you're. out of shape like I am. So you got to work on it. So,
0: Well, listen, you've been great. So I feel like people need the encouragement. They need the positivity. I think you've done a really great job really setting that up. And I think we'll circle back to that at the very end here. But part two here, I want to talk about job application process here. So practical tips for job seekers to get noticed and land their position. Talking about the interview, Bobby, what tips do you have for people who are interviewing during this current time? So
1: one of the things that I think in Breaking the Code, of the book, is if you read into it, the things that I'm saying about how to find a software job is applicable to every type of job search. And I'm amazed constantly and consistently the mistakes people make when they try to interview for a position. And it doesn't matter if you're interviewing for a software job or, you know, a video editor or you're trying to pitch a latest movie or it doesn't matter what you're trying to pitch. Most people walk in with just a resume and that's all they got. And the other mistake they do is when they sit down in an interview, we have this social norm, especially in the U.S. Like when you go to an interview, you're supposed to sit there, the interviewer asks you questions and then you answer the questions. Whatever he asks or she asks, you have to answer that question. And we never get around to like selling yourself. And so like if you're going on an interview today and let's say that you've had that downturn and like you need this job, okay, you really need it, it got to happen for you you've got to walk in with some type of portfolio like something that you can show visually tangibly that that person can see that you know what you're doing and so like in software world we're saying walk in there with working software if you're a marketing person you need to show them the things that you would market you know if you're editing like you said you're editing for a podcast bring in some podcasts that you edited show the before the after And say, all right, this is what I got before and this was awful. You know, like this came from someone's, you know, like Galaxy S5. I sweetened it up and I edited all the ums out and look at what the end result was. You're going to get hired when you do that. Even if your resume says, I worked for Joe Rogan on Spotify, edited his show, you know, we had a million views or whatever. They may hire you based on that. But another person may walk in there and say, I've worked on like eight or nine different podcasts. I've had some very challenging audio from like non-professional guests to professional guests. And I fixed all that stuff. You may beat the guy from the Joe Rogan show, you know? So like, that's what I think. So you got to have something you can show them that's tangible. So if you're drawing, that's art. If you're coding, that's code. If you're editing, that's editing things that you've done.
0: I think that's such a good point. And because when you're as an employer looking from their perspective and you're looking at their portfolio, it's almost like you're imagining or picturing what it would be like if they were to work for your company. So, you know, I think I told you this, but the person who got our podcast editing job did a really good job in showing, you know, these are examples of past podcasts I've worked on. Here's a before and after. And instantly as the employer, I was like, you know, he did a great job here. He can apply the same thing to my company. I want him interviewed and eventually got the job. So that's such a great point. Here's the psychology of this is that people are visual buyers. So like if you go buy a car,
1: and you don't know they're doing this, but the car sales will ask you what your favorite color is. Almost every time. And you'll say, oh, I like blue. You're just going to see blue cars the rest of the day on that lot. You know, you may have been walking in and say, I want a red sports car. But instinctively, you'll think the blue car is better because you like blue. And so what you need to do is show people something and they'll think that applies directly to them. And so they look at the visual part of it instead of just the
0: auditory part.
1: That's how we're wired. All the time, if it didn't work, people wouldn't wear shirts at a concert and sell 10 million of them because they're like, you know, hey, that artist wore that shirt or that jacket. I'm going to go get one like that, you know? So like, it's pretty crazy.
0: Going back to the portfolio idea, I, um, and I've always wondered this, but how would you apply that to something? Like if I was a, like a manager or I don't know, like, let's take a random position, like a customer service manager at Home Depot or something like that. How do I turn something like that into a portfolio? So you need to, obviously, if you're looking at customer service, you need to be tracking some sort of metrics
1: about what you do. So like um, satisfaction results or whatever. So that could look like, charts and graphs, the things that happened when we had our successful interactions, our solved cases. So you need to track all that type of information. If you've been doing that before, put that into something that the person can see. So that could be an Excel spreadsheet, it could be a graph, a chart. It's so much stronger than saying we improved customer relations by 100% while I was at Home Depot. But like if you showed actual like things (laughs) in a graph and charted it, it's just so much stronger to show it that way. You know, it's the same conversation. But now you have like something you can show them and most people will walk in without that. So you realize that if 10 people are interviewing for the same job and you walk in with something to show, you're the most likely candidate to win. I can tell you to put you in the top 5% of everyone that interviewed and even over interview against more qualified candidates because they didn't show anything. It works. I try to convince students every time. And if you don't show and you don't get a job, I mean, I can't help you. Like, just
0: please show that portfolio that you've spent with us to build You know, show it to them. Exactly. That's beautiful. One more question about the interview, just because this is something that I think it really interested me when you said it was the turning a softball question into something more substantive. What does that mean? What are the softball questions that I'm going to be asked?
1: So when you interview somebody, when you sit down and you're interviewing somebody, you usually have an opening question because you want to break the ice, you want to get to know the person. In the coding world, it's usually like the simplest question ever. You know, they could ask, and if you're doing it for editing or customer service, it's going to be a very basic, simple question. And what you need to do with that question is point that toward that portfolio that I asked you to bring in. So that's a great question. You know, in this portfolio piece I have over here, (laughs) I'm going to show you the answer to that. So like in coding world, I might say, hey, um, you know, can you tell me a little bit about like web programming? What is web programming? And you could say web programming is the act of building an application. Or you could say, so I've got this application I built and I'm going to show this to you right now. Let me demonstrate that I know what web programming is or I know what editing is. You know, if you're doing an editing job, that may be open up a piece of software and go, You see these levels here? (laughs) This is where I fixed that fan noise in that thing. You know, like that's what happened there. And so, like, that turns it into a demo instead of answering a softball question. You turned it into a demo. That's why
0: the portfolio is your absolute sales tool and how you would do it. And one of my favorite things about the portfolio, Bobby, is that you don't need five to 10 years of experience to have this portfolio. You could be someone who's just learning how to code this month. And granted, you know, improvement, it's not going to be the best thing in the world. Maybe it will, maybe it won't, but people can still showcase some really impressive things, you know, if they're just starting off in their career or transitioning with that portfolio. You know, I think that's something that I like to ask you about is just like, what advice do you have for people who are making those types of transitions as they're spending it during this time?
1: Yeah. So like what happens is, is a lot of people let their lack of experience from applying to jobs. We hear this all the time. So like, um, they want two to three years experience. I'm not even going to apply. What you don't understand is HR sometimes writes these job recs and the hiring manager isn't writing them. They just say HR put a post out on Indeed or whatever. And they just, they put in a laundry list of things that they want. And so you're sitting there with no experience as a software developer no experience as, you know, podcast editor or no experiences. And so, like, what you need to do is invent things to put on your portfolio that demonstrates you understand the topics and you understand what they're talking about. And coding, it's fairly easy. You build projects and you show those projects that you built. They don't have to be in production. They don't have to be, I worked at Facebook. But you show them that A, you're interested in your craft, the thing that you're doing, and B, take the time out to be to improve yourself constantly all the time. You're always learning and pushing that forward. And that helps you overcome the experience gap is what I call it. So like you have zero experience in interviewing against someone with three years of experience, but they don't walk in with anything and you do. It just makes you that much more valuable. I can't tell you like... When I talk to employers and they're trying to hire candidates and we show them a portfolio and they're like, wow, that's really good. You know, like, how long did it take them to build that? And I said, well, you built that in three months. You know, and they're like, okay, that's different. I mean, like, let me look at that person. I'd like to talk to them. So, and I've got another secret tip. This is in the book too, that I think is real important. So when you're interviewing, the other thing that you can do to an interview question is you can turn it on them and you can ask them what they're trying to do. In other words, you ask the person about work, their work, and you show genuine interest in what they do. And so it's almost like dating. So like if you're dating someone for the first time, you want to ask them about you, about them, and not talk about yourself the whole time. And so interviews are always towards you as the interviewee, but when you can turn that around and get them to talk about their work, they'll like you more. Because they think you're interested in them subconsciously, and we know that people hire people they like. It's just the way it works, you know? So, and that's one way you can endear yourself to a hiring manager and say, hey, so what are you trying to build? Oh, that's amazing. That's really cool. I mean, you know, or compliment them and say, you've built an amazing team here. I would love to be part of it. So tell me a little bit about the entertain team dynamics. What do you do on a daily basis? And how do I fit in that? You know, and things like that. And just get them talking about work is another thing that you can do.
0: You know, I think that's the first time on this podcast that particular piece of advice has been given. And I think it is just so important, like it is the one thing that could end up getting you that job. Whereas most people, it's going back to the beginning of this podcast is like most people think the interview is like you walk in, you just get pitched questions and you answer them really quickly. And so I think by having this type of mentality when you're showing up to the interview is like that's going to be a game changer for a lot of people, in my opinion. I want to talk about that first job after a transition. One thing you said was don't turn down the first job just for any particular reason. I think that this is a good piece of practical advice, but if you could justify that for listeners, I think that might change some perspectives here.
1: Yeah. So, a lot of times when we're starting out in our career, let's say we're career changing or we're just starting out in our career, there's this notion that I'm going to find the perfect job and I'm going to kind of wait around until that perfect job comes my way. And what I tell people all the time is do not wait around, take the first offer that you get, take that job and start making money and continue to look if you want to do that. So I have a story about a a young student we had and he went to Georgia. We got an interview for him. He went down to Georgia and it was for a very large company. I don't want to say the company's name, but like he's been down there and interviewed. He actually got an offer. He was 19 years old coming out of our boot camp. He had no job experience whatsoever. He gets an offer as a software developer and he turns it down. Because the guy voted for someone for president that he didn't like. And I tried to convince him. I said, listen, man, this is a large company. You're never going to see this president probably ever again. You're just going to be in your cube making money. Vote for who you want to vote for. That's how it works in America. But just because he voted for the president you don't like doesn't mean you can't work there. And so, like, he had this, like, super, like, kind of moral conviction about, like, who voted for who and those kind of things. And so he never broke in. And so one of the things that we have to do, we don't want to do anything illegal. And we don't want to like totally go against our morals but in general we have to sometimes we can talk ourselves out of jobs because we don't want to work with people with other different views and when you get in the workforce you just have to like there's people that are going to believe different things that you do and you have to get along with people and so like take that first job regardless of like if it's not the perfect fit i mean i've talked to another guy that said i only want to work in a big company and i'm like well you can get there but like why don't you take this small company first take that experience and then launch into the big company later he came back to me three years later, still at the small company and said, man, I love small companies. Like, I don't even know like what I was thinking about why I wanted to work at a bank. I'm like, I know. That's what I was trying to tell you. So you take the first job, you just don't know what's going to happen. And back to that guy in Georgia, he never broke in after that because he waited around and it was like six or seven or eight, nine months later, he didn't practice his skills and that never happened. He turned down that job and he could have made, you know, fifty, sixty thousand $60,000 dollars as 19 years old, he could have done that for six months and then parlayed that into something else and whether the guy votes for whoever you like or not is irrelevant when you're in the second job. You know, I mean like don't wait around for the perfect situation, find the one so you can get paid. I guess I could sum it up like this, do the first job you get for the money, the second job for the passion. So like if you have passionate about something, get experience and then when you have experience in an arena, it's easier to find that second job and you can be more choosy And you can be more picky about the places you want to work because now you're you're employed, you know, and so don't be unemployed waiting for the perfect position.
0: Yeah, I think that is so good. And that's why particularly I asked that here on the show is because like for me, I know that's always been a. A problem, something that I've worked on getting better at is just like I want everything to be perfect. Everything has to be aligned in the way that I want it to. But I think that is the ideals are great, but in practice, it's just didn't make sense. So I think you're encouraging people to open up their minds a little bit and just to get a little bit more practical and also just to be patient because oftentimes when we are making that transition, you're not going to be in the perfect situation just next year, you know, especially in times like these. So just to be patient with the process, to take that first job, and to continuously get deeper and deeper down to your purpose and get more aligned with your career, I think that's just great advice, Bobby. How do you feel about free work? I know we've talked about this as well, but what if I just can't get a job? Should I take free work or volunteer work? The way I look at it, especially
1: in coding, if you're working for free for someone that truly needs your services, that's fine. I'm not saying you can't ever do a favor for somebody. This goes back to my notions of unpaid internships, especially at large organizations. I just, I hate that. If they have work that's that important, they should pay something for it. And so if the only thing you can find is an unpaid internship, do it for three months just to put experience on the table, no longer than that, and then use that experience to get a paid gig, I mean, and leave. Because I think that they're taking advantage of your situation where you're desperate for work. Second thing is... You got to evaluate if I worked on my own products or my own skills internally for myself instead of working for someone else, could I better launch myself forward? And so the experience I gather, the thing I can put on my resume, is that really better than me having a more rockstar portfolio that I could work on by myself while I'm still looking for work? A lot of times too, when you get into these unpaid internships is it's a weird dynamic. You feel devoted to the company because they gave you an opportunity even though they really didn't. They're not giving you anything to be there. And so it also will distract you from the larger job search that you need to be doing. So like you need to be the number one job you have when you're unemployed is to find a job. That's what you're employed to do. Having an internship can distract from those goals, can distract from your portfolio. You know, I'm not saying you can't help your mom set up her Internet. If there's a big co out there that says, hey, we have some unpaid internships. And just because it's a big company doesn't
0: mean it's going to lead to other jobs. Well, cool. Bobby, some really practical tips and things that people can take away today for the job search. Really appreciate you, man.
1: No problem, man. Appreciate it.
0: Yeah, man. What final pieces of advice do you have for job seekers, particularly those who feel like they're struggling during this time or even feel anxious? Go start your learning journey.
1: Just do that right now today, whatever that is, and then have faith and confidence in yourself that you can do it regardless of the experience gap you may see. Apply for those roles anyway. Bring in that portfolio be nice in the interview. You know, like I think Mark Cuban said at best, the new superpower in today's world is to be nice and show interest when you're talking to those people that you really want to work there and then compliment what they do. And I think if you can put all of that together, you'll be employed. So, because people are looking for those types of people.
0: Awesome. Well, Bobby, thank you so much. Want to hear about this book. You just launched it, right? Yeah, I just launched it yesterday. It came
1: out yesterday and it appeared number one in web programming and like six other categories on Amazon.
0: Let's go. Awesome.
1: Yeah, I know. It's pretty cool. So like breaking the code is just a five steps job. People think it's a coding book. It's really not. It's a job finding book. It gives practical advice, how to get a job, and then the things that you can do to become that rock star in your industry. Um, We have written it about coding or software development, but if you're in something else, I think the book still applies and about the things that we do, the strategies that we employ to get
0: people jobs. That's great. I'd love to ask authors this, but why did you write the book
1: the reason I wrote it was because when I started Coder Foundry, I wanted to create a company. I'd created two other companies before, but on this one, I wanted to create something that truly helped a person. You know, So I looked at a lot of companies and a lot of things I could do, and I just felt like if I could create something that could truly help people, I just wanted to do that. And so we built the Coder Foundry, and we were training people to code, and we were getting them jobs. It just occurred to me, you know, the things that we do here are different. No one else does this. And so if I want to back up what I said, I want to make something that helps people. Well, why can't I make a $10 dollars ebook or a $15 paperback to show them most of the secrets we have at Coder Foundry? And they may not have the $15,000 it takes to go to the boot camp. And so maybe I can help someone in India or Europe or somewhere else that can't come to our boot camp and just expose this information to them. Because I truly believe that the things that we do are different. I mean, like most people, for example, don't walk in with a portfolio. And it seems logical when you say it. But then if you interviewed 40 people, you would say you would see one or maybe zero with a portfolio in any industry. They just walk in with nothing. And so like, and then you see one guy walk in there with a portfolio or one lady walk in a portfolio and you're like, wow, okay, I'm hiring that person. You know, like, um, and so that's the one secret in here, but there's five steps that we go through recruiters. We go through like how you can like apply through the different job boards and things like that. And so like, I think all of those things together can shorten your job search dramatically.
0: Awesome. Well, I did take a peek at the book. This book is great, and I love the title, by the way. So for you listeners, I'll make sure to link that within the description, as I always do. I'll also link to Bobby's YouTube channel, which is just amazing. I'm always impressed by how much work it takes to build these channels and all these videos. So I'll definitely make sure to link that as well. Bobby, thanks so much for being on the show. I think you gave such concise answers that were helpful.
1: Okay. Yeah. Check it out on
0: YouTube. Perfect. All right. Thanks a lot, Chris. All right. So this concludes our 155th episode of the Let's Eat Grandma Career Warrior podcast. Really enjoyed doing this one and such a good reminder to be the candidate that stands out in the interview, to be the person who goes above and beyond and thinks about what will differentiate themselves from the other job seekers showing up. I think that this also was a good reminder to stay encouraged, to remember to build up that intellectual skill set, that intellectual health as Bobby put it earlier on in the episode. And I'd really recommend that for all of you job seekers who really feel like they're struggling right now. Now is the time to get better at what you think you need to get better at. Now is the time to take that look in the mirror and to do a little bit of self-reflection. I think it is just such an important thing to do during this time. And of course, to take care of your mental health. I know there are a lot of people who are struggling right now. I know of loneliness and demotivation is getting some people right now. That piece of encouragement, I wanna make sure that people get to make sure also just to, to keep their skill set fresh. I think that's also really important. i also make sure to link a couple of really other episodes if you found this one to be useful, and that will be also a help as well. Thanks so much for tuning in. This was episode 155. I'll see you next time.